Well, thank you fans of Biblical Genetics for tuning in to another exciting and possibly depressing episode of Biblical Genetics. I am going to do a multi-part series here. I've been studying very hard for this, doing a deep dive into a lot of uh, disturbing topics in science, and I'm ready to present them to you. I've bounced these ideas off a lot of other people. Some of them uh, gave me some rather critical feedback. I was actually kind of surprised, so I know this is going to be controversial. It's going to be hard to stomach some of the things I'm going to get to specifically over the next several weeks. Today I'm going to just do an introduction. I think it'll be a little easier to tolerate. But things are changing quickly. Oh yes, just this morning I read that the Biden administration has reversed the stem cell policies of the Trump administration. And so a lot of things are going to change really quickly. I'm not exactly certain what it means for this uh, podcast that I'm doing right now, but I might just have to add another episode. I've got three, maybe four plans, so maybe I'm doing four, maybe five. At the end of the show, I'm going to thank all of you that are supporting Biblical Genetics through Patreon.com, but I also want to mention those of you who are helping through BuyMeACoffee.com. I've had anonymous donation, $15, I've Ken, $75. Logan, $100. Um, that is way above and beyond. I'm actually asking for three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen dollars $15, you know, one coffee at a time. And some of you just throwing a lot of money into the pot, and I really, really, really appreciate it. I have finally reached the point where I am self-sufficient. All of my costs are being covered by you, my generous listeners, and it's just a wonderful thing. Just watching this grow, watching the number of people engaging, watching my, my uh, channel... Uh, number of subscribers. I mean, I added 22 subscribers in the last 28 days, and I think I only produced one video in that time. I had another video that I made that I was going to uh, release, and the audio was going to be for you, and I was specifically tweaking the video so that the audio stream would be uh, listen toable. It it's not like I'm talking about this graph over here. You can see that red line, so something that you wouldn't be able to interpret, but my employer decided to grab that one and that's going to appear on creation.com sometime in the near future. They're working on it now, making it more creation.com friendly and less biblical genetics. I'm perfectly happy with this. I'm so, so happy to get the information out. I hope you all are as encouraged as I am about biblical genetics, about the joy of studying science, about the joy of following God in the things that he's done about learning about our creation, learning what our creator actually did. Now there are some scary and some sad things about genetics, you know, diseases and things like that, but also technology, and this is not freaking me out, I'm trying to approach this very soberly, but there are some very shocking things that are happening right now in scientific laboratories around the world. I was just talking to one of my dear friends uh, just, just yesterday. We were talking about his science and all the work he's done. He is an amazingly productive scientist. He's running his own laboratory now. I had met him at Georgia Tech when he was still a student, and I was an alumnus at least 10 years. And I watched him go through his PhD program. He's working on childhood cancers. And part of his research, well, they have to use HEK293 cells to grow the viruses that they're using to cure cancer. And he's struggling with this because he knows HEK293 cells came out of an abortion that happened back in 1973. Now, is this moral or not? That's an open question. And we're going to save the answer to that question for maybe one or two episodes from now. The next episode, I'm going to lay out the early history of the cells that are being used today. 
Then we're going to talk more about the, um, the ethics of the cell use. We're going to discuss what is being done right now, current medical advances happening because of fetal cell research. We're going to discuss the tie-in to the uh, fertility clinic industry. And we're going to discuss politics and how multiple universities across the world have started soliciting millions upon millions of dollars of private money to get around government restrictions. Oh boy, this is going to be a, um, a shock. I've said that several times already, but I hope you are shocked by what I say. I'm not sure if I'm going to actually advocate for any positions. I'm not sure that I'm going to have something to tell you at the end and say, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to organize along these lines and pursue these pathways and follow these policies and procedures and contact our uh, representatives and our senators in this way. But I might. And hopefully some of the information I'm presenting to you, maybe one of you who's politically more aware than I am, politically connected, can say, okay, here's something we can do. Because I tell you what, as far as I see, nothing is limited to the researcher today. Yes, okay, they can't clone humans, fine. And they can't raise embryos beyond a certain limit, you know, 14 days, okay, fine. But prior to that, it looks like there are very few restrictions and experimenting on the current crop of fetal cell lines and the, well, current crop that we're not aware of because they're in private foundations and research institutions and um, the ones that are going to be coming down the pike in the very near future. So anyway, this is going to be sobering and I hope you enjoy it. This is um, uh, Fetal Tissue Research Part 1, Human Cloning? Well, hey, fans of Biblical Genetics, this is Dr. Rob. Thank you for tuning in to my inaugural episode of a series that I'm going to do on the use of fetal cells in medical technology. This is going to be awkward and uncomfortable. I'm going to be asking some very difficult questions. As I got into this, I thought I knew what was going on, but I learned so much and so much of what I've learned I don't like. I'm going to present some of these findings to you and we're going to be uncomfortable. We're not going to like what we're hearing because the use of fetal cells is much more pervasive than I thought. I, I, I thought I knew which ones were being used and how many different cell lines, and I was, well, very much misunderstanding because I was underestimating the scale of the research efforts. In this first episode, I'm just gonna lay down some groundwork. We're gonna discuss some brand new findings that tell us that we're on the verge of cloning human beings, and we're going to read some Bible passages so everyone understands where we're coming from and what the biblical answers to these questions are. From there, we're going to move into some of the early history of, of uh, cell technology and the use of aborted fetus tissues for the development of early vaccines and medicines 20, 30, 40 years ago. Then we're going to look at the coronavirus vaccines and what they're based on and how the abortion industry has played into this. We're going to look into the um, fertility clinic industry to see how embryos from those places are being used currently. And then we're going to wrap up the whole series with a discussion on privacy. Now, I did an episode, I don't know, six months ago where I said privacy is dead. There'll be a link in the show notes. You can go look at that if you like. But that is very profoundly important to understand that there is no genetic privacy anymore. It's gone. And so now let's take that thought and apply it to fetal tissue culture. 
Yeah, I think you can see where I'm going there, but let's not get there yet. Let's talk about some brand new studies. Now, some of these things are on the edge of morality and some of these things are perfectly comfortable. Let's start off with the comfortable. Two different papers were just literally published in Science this week. Uh, one of them is called uh, Landmarks of Human Embryonic Development Inscribed in Somatic Mutations by Bizzotto et al. Another one is called Early Developmental Asymmetries in Cell Lineage Trees and Living Individuals by Fashing et al. Now this is amazing work. What they did was they took samples of a person from all over their body, cell samples, and they sequenced the genes in those cells. And they sequenced them to a very high coverage, very, very, very high quality, much higher than the low quality human genome project. This is, this is top quality genetic information. And they were able to look at the differences in the DNA from one cell to another. And they said, oh, well, if this cell carries this mutation and this cell carries that mutation and another mutation, we can build a family tree. And what they did is they, they backed up the clock all the way back to the embryo without ever having to destroy an embryo. They can tell which mutation happened in which cell at what time during development. And what they realize is even with that first cellular division, now you went from one fertilized egg to a two-celled embryo. Already there are genetic differences between those two cells and the final adult body form isn't 50-50 from those two cells. Some cell tissue types or some tissue types have a lot more DNA from one of those cells than the other. Wow, that's amazing. This is really fascinating and interesting and perfectly acceptable from a moral standpoint because nobody's dying. Now, why is it important that we don't experiment on human beings and threaten their life with experiments? Because of what the Bible says about the creation of humans. We're created differently than anything else in the universe. Consider Genesis chapter 1:17. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Being created in the image of God is not said about anything else in creation, not even angels. Man is special, man is different, man is not a simple animal. Man is higher than any animal. Man is very, very important in the eyes of God. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. This is an amplification of the first. Now you might have heard that there's two different creation accounts in Genesis. That is not true. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 is talking about the creation of the entire universe. Genesis chapter 2 is focusing down onto only the events in the Garden of Eden that basically Adam could have seen. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We, we can see that God created man special in his own image, and also that God created man by breathing into his nostrils the breath of the spirit of life. That is not said about any animal. Therefore, we can conclude very comfortably that man is special in God's eyes. There's no moral quandary associated with experimenting on adult cells, especially if we're not creating embryos from those cells. We're not trying to clone humans. If you want to sequence the DNA out of a cell to some high quality, great, and we can learn cool stuff from it. There's also no problem with experimenting on animals within reason. Now, we don't want to torment animals or torture them, you know, burn them alive or anything like that for no reason. Oh, I was at Georgia Tech once in the library and I was a little bored from studying. So I was just wandering around the stacks and I saw this row of documents that were declassified. I was like, what on earth? So I pulled off this binder and I opened it up 
and it was U.S. government documents detailing the development of the flamethrower. And they wanted to know how to kill people by throwing flames at them. And now the flamethrower was used a lot during World War II. This is just prior to World War II, them developing this, this awful instrument where you can incinerate other people. But they studied it on pigs. And I'm flipping pages here, reading descriptions of if you put gasoline on a pig and light it on fire, here's how long it will live. Here's the physical things that happen to it. Here's what happens when his, his skin flakes off. I mean, it was disgusting. And yet, it's just a pig on one sense. Another sense is still a creation of God. And God loves all of his creations. They're special to him. Man's a lot more special than a pig. But it made me really uncomfortable to learn about incinerated pigs. I don't like that kind of experimentation. Yeah, it did help us to win the war. And a lot of lives were saved, American lives anyway, by the invention of this technology. But it's ugly. So let's not go there. Let's talk about better things. Things that don't involve unusual suffering. And one of the things that's done in scientific laboratories all around the world is experimenting on model organisms. Now, there are all sorts of oversight panels and ethics panels. Anytime you're experimenting on an animal with a backbone, you've got to go through ethical review. This is a good thing because it prevents needless suffering of God's creatures. Okay, but mice are a classic laboratory animal. They're experimented on all the time. And one of the things we've done is looked at a lot of development of embryos in mice because, you know, they make a lot of babies and you can take a pregnant mouse and you can open up her womb, take out the baby, you can freeze it, you can section it, you can stain it, you can do all sorts of experimental manipulations on mouse embryos. And generally these are allowed in scientific laboratory. Now, again, I don't want to slaughter animals and make them suffer, but if a little bit of pain in an animal can lead to the cure for cancer, this is a good thing. And one of the reasons I say that is because another passage in Genesis, this is called the Dominion Mandate. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, as far as the theology of this passage goes, this is very important. We have been given dominion. The environment and the earth is under our charge. Yes, because of the fall, everything is falling apart. Okay, death and decay and all this kind of stuff is part of the natural world now. I, I understand that. But we're still given charge of it. And we're expected to take care of what's been given. By the way, another little aside, this is where we derive the idea of private property rights. When you have something under your dominion, it is yours to take care of, and God has given that to you to take care of. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay, but talking about mice and animals here, do we have the right to experiment on animals? I believe so, and I believe it's under the dominion mandate. Do we have the right to experiment on people? Absolutely not. There's a huge difference there. And that is the dividing line that I'm going to make in all the future discussions we're about to have on the use of uh, fetal cells in medical technology. So I was not at all surprised to see a brand new paper come out in Nature that's called Ex Utero Mouse Embryogenesis from Pregastrulation to Late Organogenesis. Oh, horrible words. Well, let's go through this, right? Ex utero means out of the uterus. Oh. 
Mouse, okay, embryogenesis is the development of the embryo. Pregastrulation. If you go back to high school biology, you learned that a fertilized egg starts to divide and forms a ball of cells. That's called a blastula. And a blastocyst specifically is a ball of cells that becomes hollow and there's different tissue layers in that. We'll get back to the blastocyst in a minute. But a gastrula, gastrulation is the process where the ball of cells starts poking inwards. And depending upon which branch of life you're on, that first poking in is either become the mouth or the anus depending on whether you're a protostome or a deuterostome. Okay, that's long story, big words. But it's the whole idea here that the development of the embryo starts as a cell and, and then you eventually turn into the full adult. But in between, you have all these different stages. And one of the stages is called gastrulation. That's when the, the, the ball of cells starts poking inwards to make the tube that runs through the body. Now that paper is behind a paywall. There'll be a link in the notes, but you can't get it unless you want to pay for it. Happily, we have popular level science writers. And so thescientist.com, they wrote an article called Lab-Grown Mouse Embryos Form Limbs and Organs. Lab-grown, yeah, not mouse-grown, lab-grown. What they did was they took a mouse who was about to become pregnant, or at least the, the eggs had been fertilized. And before they implanted in the womb, they opened it up and took out the little fertilized eggs that were starting to develop, and they put them in a test tube with a bunch of uh, mineral solutions and nutrients and things like that. And they watched this begin to grow. Now, they only lived for 11 days because by that point, I mean, the mouse is fully developed at 20 days. That's when the mice are born. But after about 11 days, that's when the embryo really started needing a blood supply and it couldn't develop any further. But they were able to watch the embryo develop outside of the womb in glass. So they didn't have to kill it at all different stages. They could just video it. And it was an unbelievably cool technology. Amazing technology. Hopefully this technology can be used later to help human beings. That would be wonderful. Except notice the uh, implication here. What happens when we finally develop maybe a semi-permeable membrane that the placenta can attach to? And on the other side of the membrane, we can have a nutrient solution circulating with oxygen and sugars and amino acids and things like that. And maybe you can grow a mouse with no mouse mama. And if you can do that, can you grow a human being with no human mama? That is a very interesting and very scary question. And that leads us to our next and last illustration, a brand new uh, report coming out of Monash University in Australia. This is reported in the Sydney Morning Herald. Apparently there is an article in Nature that is or is about to be produced based on this work. Scientists create model embryos in lab, raising major ethical questions. What these scientists did was they started off with a very ethical thing. They were looking at human skin cells and they were experimenting on them. Okay, so far so good. But what they were doing was they were reprogramming those skin cells. You see, when you start off as a, a, single, a single fertilized egg, basically uh, you are what's called pluripotent. Your egg that you once were turned into the full body. But usually skin cells don't turn into brains and eyeballs. They're skin cells. What happens is during embryogenesis, different switches are thrown in a, in a cell lineage. And at different points in time, the, the, the cells are locked into a specific trajectory. 
So you can't get every single cell becoming every single thing. What you get is this cell becomes that and this, and then this becomes something else, and this becomes something over here. So you might get you know, blood, bone, nerve, skin, different tissue types, because the switches have been thrown differently. And what they're doing is they're unswitching the switches. They're trying to get stem cells. Now, Human stem cells theoretically should be morally okay. As long as you don't go all the way back to the point where they're pluripotent and can turn into a human being again. But if you want to take skin cells and flip some switches and make a liver and use, use that to grow a brand new liver for a person if they need a liver transplant or a kidney or even a retina or you know a, a disc for disc replacement surgery and all sorts of really, really fascinating, amazing, cool things that are coming down the pike right now because they're figuring out how to take adult cells, reprogram them, and grow them into organs. But what they noticed was that in their Petri dish, thousands of cells, a few percent of them weren't behaving normally. They weren't really growing. And so they took those cells and they looked at what genes were turned on and turned off and they noticed that those particular cells had genes expressed that are expressed in early embryogenesis only. And I said, oh, these are progenitor cells. And the next thought they had was, what would happen if we took them all and combined them and put them into a blob? So they took a, um, a, a test tube and they put a whole bunch of cells at the very bottom of the test tube. And after a couple of days, those cells had stopped behaving like individual cells. They had spontaneously reorganized themselves into a blastocyst with differentiated tissues. Now, some of the cells there weren't the right cells, like, you know, blastocysts don't have that cell type. Okay, but it's only trivial matter now to figure out what caused that cell type and maybe prevent it. I mean, they're literally on the edge of taking a human skin cell and making an embryo, and that's effectively what they did. My friends, this is terrifying. Now granted, the university is treating this just like human embryos. They went through this huge review, months and months of work, before they were even able to announce what, what they had done. They're treating these things as embryos and they're not letting them experiment beyond what's called the 14-day window. If you saw my earlier biblical genetics episode on human cloning, you'll know that there's a 14-day window that experimenting on human cells is not allowed. After 14 days, the embryo was developed to a point where it won't split and become two twins anymore. The, the embryo was developed to the point where there's a neural crest, and that neural crest is basically the patterning that's going to lay down the spine. And so now you have a left and a right and all these other issues where that embryo is on the verge of becoming what at least the anatomists and the ethicists and the embryologists say is human. Now, I think the fertilized egg is human. I don't think there's a difference between a fertilized egg and a 14-day embryo. But the science of the day right now, everyone in the industry basically is comfortable, not me, everyone else in the industry is comfortable with a 14-day window. After 14 days, you can't let it grow anymore. What do you do with the embryo? You freeze it, you incinerate it, or you flush it down the drain. Yeah, there's a lot of moral issues here. But they have now the ability to take human cells and convert them into embryo-like structures. We have the ability to take mouse embryos and grow them in a test tube to a fairly late stage of development. 
People are working on artificial wombs, but you don't even need an artificial womb. You just need a willing mother who's who would be allow a lab-created embryo to grow in her body. Now, whether that's a natural uh, delivery or a C-section, I, I don't know, but we are on the cusp of human cloning. Happily, in the Western world, we have laws. You say, you can't do this, you can't do that, but that doesn't prevent people from doing certain things. You're not supposed to be able to take the CRISPR-Cas9 technology and change human genetics in such a way that it can be inherited into the next generation. And yet, just a few years after the CRISPR-Cas9 system was, it was discovered, we hear reports out of China that a scientist had deliberately genetically engineered several human embryos and planted them in a, um, a, a mother and they came to term and two girls were born. In fact, it was rumored at the time there was a third one on the way. Now, we haven't heard anything about this in a while because first that scientist was disappeared for a little while and because this is genetically engineered human beings there are huge privacy issues here. The Chinese government does not want the privacy of these little girls to be violated and things like that. But we've already genetically modified humans. We have the ability to create embryos. We have the ability to using uh, fertilization technologies to implant embryos in human mothers. There's actually nothing theoretically impossible now as far as human cloning is concerned. All other parts are there. And because in science there's always mavericks, there's always people pushing the envelope, and there's always people doing things on the side, either illegally or in a country where it's not illegal, maybe yet or maybe ever, that this is something that we're going to face in the very near future, maybe several years from now. And this raises questions. Is there a soul? If there's a soul, when does the soul enter the body? You know, how early in embryogenesis is it soulish? Well, I think from day one. And yet there's a problem with that because identical twins are a single fertilized embryo that's split and clearly identical twins have souls. They need to hear the gospel. They can be saved. And yet was that one soul that came into two? Okay. That's a giant uh, morass of moralistic and theological arguments right there. Yes, I think identical twins have a soul. And yes, they did start from one embryo, which had a soul. Experimenting on embryos, therefore, is experimenting on human beings. It is outside the dominion mandate. There is no biblical warrant to do this. Now, could experimenting on embryos lead to new medical technologies, to the improvement of living, to the curing of diseases? Yes, absolutely it could. But some information is not worth knowing. Let me close with Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Thank you so much to all the people who have supported me on buymeacoffee.com and to all my monthly patrons. I'm delighted to see my patron list growing. Uh, Rob S., Dave H., Jonathan P., uh, Jeff VD, Daniel P., and Adam B. You are awesome. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without you, and I really appreciate not only your financial support, but also your prayers. To all of you other fans out there, you want to do me a giant favor? Share this. Talk about this. Point other people to biblical genetics. There's a lot more coming right now. In fact, I'm going to turn off the camera right now and start on my next episode. The use of fetal cells in medical technology is going to be a deep dive into morality and ethics.